So this evening we are we're going to look at the story out of Matthew, Matthew chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. Matthew chapter one, eighteen through twenty-five. You'll find it on the screen, or if you've got it with you somehow, uh, you can follow along that way uh, as well. Before we before we read, let's pray again. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we come to you this evening with, with open hearts, ready to, to hear a word from you. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us to, help us to hear your voice. Do whatever it is you need to do in us to, to change us, to transform us, and and make us new. Help us to fall more deeply in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. Hear these words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the prophet had said. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We will go that far. Can we just think for a while? about how wild this story is? Like for real, let's be real about it. Let's think for a little while about how wild this story really is. I mean, this is the story of God becoming a human being. This is the story about how God comes to us. And I think often still comes to us. Let's think about how wild this story is. The town was called Nazareth. It was a small town. There were maybe 400 or so people living there. That's a small town. And if you've ever spent, if you've ever spent much time in a small town before, then you know that you don't need things like Twitter in order for news to travel fast, especially if, especially if the news is of the scandalous kind. So our story this evening, unmarried Mary, who is now pregnant, 
maybe about 14 or so years old. I mean, we have to understand, anyone who wasn't visited by an angel or a messenger from God beforehand had no idea what was going on here. To everyone who lived in the small town of Nazareth, where news obviously travels fast, an unmarried pregnant woman could mean a lot of things. You can almost hear them thinking about it out loud. You can almost hear them whispering to one another about it. Have Mary and Joseph been together before the ceremony? What's going on here? Did she sleep with someone else? Did, did, did she want to be with someone else? Did she give herself to prostitution? Is she selling herself? Think about that. The storm of gossip blowing through Nazareth was probably strong and severe. I mean, we're talking about the sexual promiscuity of a 14-year-old girl in the small town of Nazareth. No one would have been able to believe that. And it seems that Joseph, for a while, couldn't believe it either. Even Joseph didn't understand. Can you imagine for a moment? Can you imagine his hurt? Can you sort of feel his pain? Can you imagine the anguish that he would have felt? Can you, can you feel his anger? I'm pretty sure I've never been as angry as Joseph probably was when, when he first heard the news. As Matthew tells the story, it seems as though righteous Joseph, which I think is important. He's a righteous man. We'll get to that later. It seems that righteous Joseph had planned to divorce Mary quietly, but, but that doesn't mean that no one would know. How does a 14-year-old girl hide a pregnancy? It doesn't happen. She can't. She won't. Divorcing her quietly probably means that he had decided just to not make a big spectacle out of it that he had decided not to use his legal and religious right to have her stoned to death for adultery, to not use his legal and religious right to actually throw the first stone. Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly, but that didn't mean the teeth of this scandal would go away. Mary's good name would still be clouded over with, with just all kinds of darkness. What a wild, wild story. What a way for the Savior of the world to actually come into the world. I mean, if we were going to make up a story about God becoming a human being, we surely would not make up a story like this. Like, we would make up a story that would probably be more along the lines of some superhero movie. Are you with me? We wouldn't make up a story like, what a way for God to come to us. Why did God choose to come to us in a scandalous way? Like, it just seems like the wrong way to go about things, if you ask me. I mean, the story surrounding the birth of Jesus sounds more like something that TMZ would break and report on than it does the birth of the Savior of the world. Why did God, why did God have to make it so messy? And I'm sure you've wondered this before. Why didn't God come as an actual king? Like, if you were going to come as a person, become a human being, why not come as a as a conquering king, one who's big and bold and powerful, why not come into a family actually making use of its royal blood? Why, why this, of all things, a scandal? What in the world? Well, I have an idea. 
think it's a pretty good idea, so why don't we talk about it? I think God came into the world in a scandalous way to remind us human beings that God comes to us not on our, not on our terms, but on God's terms. I think God comes to us, came to us in such a scandalous way so that we human beings would begin to realize that God comes to us on God's terms, not on our terms. I mean, think about that for a moment. God comes to us on God's terms, not our terms. If God only came to us on our terms, the way we would have God come to us, well, we would then become the center of our own little worlds, and God would be nothing more than a little puppet that we can control and manipulate. And if the Bible is clear about anything at all, and I think it's clear about a whole bunch of stuff, other stuff it's a lot less clear about, but I think this is clear. God is the living center of our lives. There's no other way to deal with God. God is the living center of our lives. Let me try to put this into perspective, some, some biblical perspective. There's something about us human beings that sort of makes us try to control the way that God comes to us. And when we give in to that something inside of us, all we're doing is making God out to be what, what we want God to be. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called an idol. Making something be what we want it to be. Making God who we want God to be. In the Old Testament, the Canaanite people did this all the time. And the people of Israel, you can read all about it in the Old Testament. The Canaanite people did this all the time. And the people of Israel often got right, caught up right in it. The Canaanite people needed rain for their crops. So they created for themselves a rain god. And they named him Baal. They wanted to be fruitful and multiply and indulge their their sexual impulses. And so they created a fertility god, and they named her Asherah. And then they'd make deals with these gods. If Baal would give them rain, well, you know what they would do. They would perform all sorts of rites and rituals. They would do all sorts of things and live in a certain way. It was a way for them to sort of manipulate God, manipulate the gods into giving them what they want and remain controlled of their own little lives. Like, that's a pretty easy thing to do. And my sense is that we actually do this a whole lot more than, than we'd like, like to admit. Making deals with God to try to control how God comes to us is a whole lot easier than than just accepting the way that God comes to us. God, I'll do all the right religious things. I'll say all the right religious things. I'll believe all the right religious things. If you just keep from getting angry at me and give me all the things that I want, like a decent job, a good family, a bigger house, a good reputation. I mean, making deals with God is kind of like saying, God, like, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at being controlled. I, I, I know my own life. I know myself better than anybody else. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what I need. So I'll do some things for you if you just give me what I want and also sort of destroy my enemies and allow me to do the same. I'll be a good religious person if those things just happen. 
God came to us, but not as the people wanted him to come, as a warrior king who would give the people what they want, free them from Rome, give them their own superpower nation, maybe superpower in the world, or at the very least, a self-contained nation that wasn't bothered by anybody else. But God didn't come that way as a big, powerful warrior king. God came in a scandalous way. God came to us in a seemingly illegitimate, vulnerable, little infant. See, God comes to us on God's terms, not on our terms. Friends, sometimes God comes to us in unexpected ways, ways we don't see coming, maybe ways that really aren't wanting even scandalous ways, but I want, I want us to really look at this story. Look at what it does to Joseph. Look at what it does to him. It actually transforms him into someone who acts scandalously, into someone who acts with a, with a scandalous sort of love. As the story goes, just before Joseph has the chance to divorce Mary quietly, he gets a visit from an angel who saw that coming while he's sleeping in a dream. Here's how the story goes in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And then Matthew goes on to explain all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her and till she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Wait, what? He did what now? This scandal just got bigger, by the way. A whole lot bigger. Think of the way that Matthew describes Joseph. And I think this is really important. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. What does that mean? It means what you think it means. It means that he's a man devoted to God and concerned with pure, ethical, righteous living. Right? He's a good religious person. Like most of us, he's just a guy who wants an ordered life. He's an honest, hardworking dude. He follows the rules, especially the religious rules. He's a righteous man. And now he's confronted with a choice that will flip his life upside down, no matter what he chooses. If he calls attention to Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy, she might be stoned to death according to Levitical law, according to the rules of his religion. If he divorces her quietly, she'll be forced to beg or turn to prostitution just so that she and her new little child would survive. On the other hand, if he marries her, 
her son will be his heir, not his own biological child. And his good name, his good reputation will be tainted for the rest of his life. The angel of God comes to him and says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Friends, think about what God was asking Joseph to do. Just think about it. God was asking Joseph to totally and completely reorder everything he thought he knew about fairness, about justice, and righteousness, and purity. God was asking Joseph to just embrace a complete mess. God was asking Joseph to love a woman he didn't understand and to protect and raise a baby he didn't father. And what does Joseph do? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And when the boy was born, he named him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Look, I don't know how accurately I can measure for you the amount of spiritual anguish that Joseph must have gone through. I mean, this was not easy for him. This may have been the most intense spiritual struggle of his entire life. And yet, he chooses to let go of his reputation. He chooses to let go of some of the Levitical law, some of his religion. He lets go of it. And instead, he chooses to embrace the mess of scandalous love. He took Mary home to be his wife. When the baby was born, he named him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. The spiritual anguish he must have gone through to love that scandalously, I don't know that we can measure it. He had to let go of some of his beliefs in order to love like that. Think of it. Perhaps why, that's why the angel's first words to him were, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid when God's work in your life just doesn't look like you thought it would. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid when God flips upside down your understanding of what righteousness is. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid when God asks you to stand up for and alongside those who are shamed and vulnerable in this world. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When God asks you to love someone more than your own reputation, do not be afraid. And I think eventually, after a long spiritual battle of 
really intense anguish. I think Joseph finally came to the realization that scandalous love was actually his real religion. And he took Mary home to be his wife. You know, we know, I'm pretty sure, that Jesus learned a lot from his mom. All you have to do is go back to Luke chapter 2. We looked at it on Sunday. And just read Mary's scandalous song and see how that sort of matches itself up with the way that Jesus taught and the things that he did when he lived his life while walking around on this planet. But after reading this story, I'm pretty convinced that Jesus learned a whole lot from his daddy too. Because when that baby boy Jesus grew up and became a man, all he did was walk around Galilee and Jerusalem regularly breaking religious rules. Regularly breaking religious rules and traditions all in the name of love. He loved so scandalously. I mean, he included all the wrong sorts of people all the time. He healed all the wrong sorts of people all the time. He touched people he wasn't supposed to touch. If there was a barrier set up, he'd cross over it. He ate at tables with all the wrong sorts of people at all the wrong times. It's just what he did. And when someone came to him and asked him, Rabbi, teacher, what's the greatest religion, religious rule of all? What's the greatest commandment? You know what he said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament, all of it, hangs on those two things. Love. And when he said that, it shouldn't have been a surprise because if you look at the way that Jesus lived his life, he completely embodied that every day in all the stories. Just go back and read them. Everything hangs on love. Everything. All your religious rules, all your traditions, all of it hangs on those two things. Love God, love people. And then... In the most stunning act of scandalous love of all, this God-in-the-flesh man named Jesus gave up his life. The divine died on a cross so that the world might be forgiven and live. So that you might be forgiven and live. So that you might live a full and abundant life here and now. And when we come to grips with that scandalous love given for us by the divine on the cross, after all we've done and all we've become, all that does is transform us into the kind of people who, into the kind of people who just love scandalously, who give up 
all sorts of things, including reputations, in order to just love. And that, my friends, it's the way of the cross. It's the way of the incarnation. And the way of love is the only thing that will transform and heal the world. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.